Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Yo, the guys at Throne Up Shift is doing amazing work. We, um, that guy, that guy in the, <laughs> that guy um, with the New Orleans top, he's, a, he's an evangelist, he's not a business person, I'm sorry to say, Steph, so let's <laughs> train him up. Um, we, Lauren and I actually, we were at the Irene Village Market yesterday to celebrate our four-year wedding anniversary, um, which was a lot of fun. And Lauren signed up someone for um, Paradigm Shift while we were there. We met the Rowan. He uh, makes these amazing, he picks up these like rough pieces of wood, these massive pieces of wood, and then he sculpts parts of the wood into like a bird's head. Hannes and Kath, or just Kath. Just Kath, yay! Welcome back. <laughs> After having your baby, you look great. Also, welcome to Mariette. Okay, may you please stand up? Yes. Oh, we love you guys. It's good to see you again. Uh, and so we recruited someone for Paradigm Shift whilst celebrating our anniversary. Um, and he asked me to just share a little bit more on the, um, the Holy Spirit big group sessions um, before I go into the, the message for tonight. So... Um, most of you know that we've been running the Alpha course, um, amazing course, um, very open to people who just have questions around faith and want to figure out what is the soul God thing and just ask questions and come to a safe environment and learn about what does the Bible say about some of life's most foundational questions. Um, and I heard so many people attending the Alpha course just rave about the Holy Spirit sessions. Um, so just like very real, very scriptural, very practical, inspirational stuff around who the Holy Spirit is and how we grow in relationship around the Holy Spirit. Um, and so the setup for these two evenings will be we'll be watching um, some of these Alpha DVD sessions. Um, we'll be sitting in smaller groups and then we'll be discussing some of the content and praying for each other um, and just trusting God to grow in our relationship um, in the Holy Spirit as well. Um, if you can't wait till then and you want more of the Holy Spirit right now, um, yes, always a good time. Um, Henny preached an amazing sermon on, on the Holy Spirit last week um, at the Sunday evening service, and that is available on the website um, to download and listen to, so feel free to do that. Okay, um, who of you attended the morning service today? What did Henny preach on? This, okay, I, so I just want to say that I chose this scripture and this theme first, okay? I actually phoned Eni to discuss the sermon with him, and then he was like, oh, I think I'll also preach on that. So, um, whatever I repeat that he said, he probably got from me, okay? So, that's uh, just a little disclaimer up front. Um, have you ever noticed how um, the world around us is often very focused on doing, um, and on productivity, and output, and activity. Have you noticed that? Especially in Joburg, and I think especially in Santon, there's a big focus, and a big emphasis, and a big drive around doing stuff, and doing more, and doing it better. Um, if you think about some of the KPIs for some of you sitting here, who's uh, brave enough to shout out what some of your KPIs are? So a KPI is a key performance indicator. It's how you measure it on how well you're doing your job. Okay? Who has a sales as a KPI? Right? 
There we go, key account manager for McCain. Thank you, um, Jana. Okay, so sales or billable hours or efficiencies or cost savings or building more stuff, doing more stuff. And we're incentivized by doing more, right, than the person next to us. If I have more billable hours, then I get a bigger bonus at the end of the year. Um, can you see the problem with that, though, with that incentive and where that often ends up? <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, brother, preach. Um, <laughs> A global mining giant that, that our company actually is working with currently, until um, very recently, the vision of the company was the following. Um, our vision is to maximize shareholder wealth. Yay! Steph is like, <laughs> I can sell that. <laughs> All right. Um, they changed that vision uh, for the obvious reason that their employees didn't feel very inspired by the fact that they were working so hard just to make their shareholders uh, wealthier. But what I liked about that vision is they were at, at least being real, at least being honest about what we're doing here. Okay. Um, I spoke to a, a, I had the opportunity to interview a CEO from a major, um, one of the big telecoms players here in, in Africa. And they have this, when I read their vision, I was like, I'm so excited to work with this company. Their vision is all about, you know, we're a catalyst for the development of Africa. And, you know, I'm just like, yes, I want to be a part of that. And as I was interviewing him, he told me that, you know, it would really be more lucrative for us to extend our footprint to Bloemfontein um, rather than Kigali, which is the capital of Rwanda. Right. Um, he's like, yo, that's all good. The vision is fine. But, you know, really the money is here. And I was just like, oh, you know, then why do you put that stuff on your wall? You know, if that's not. Yeah, but there's so much being driven at output. And, and in achieving the shell, the growth and the shell, the wealth, there are the employees outputs that are driven, right, that are focused in on and we manage those KPIs closely. Um, and so there's a big focus on doing on the external activity, everything is happening on the outside. Um, in one of the better commentaries that I read on, on the text we'll be looking at tonight, um, the author makes an observation and quotes James uh, Gleick, as I'm going to pronounce his surname. Um, he's, this guy is an American author, he's not a Christian, but he's an American author and historian of science whose work has looked at the cultural impact of modern technology. Okay, it's a quite an interesting field, hey? So the commentary says, they kind of ask the question, how will this all end? You know, how will the world come to an end? And he kind of plays around with a few ideas, and he says, one scenario is perhaps hyped up and supercharged. We live from one surge of adrenaline to the next. We are busier now than we were a year ago, and we will be even busier next year. According to James Gleick, and now he, he, he refers to the scientist guy, we are witnessing what he calls the acceleration of just about everything. The acceleration of everything. I think he wrote a book with that title. So maybe we will just keep moving faster and faster until we approach the speed of light. We suddenly disappear in a blur that smudges the cosmos. There is a time. Where is the time in all of this to nurture the life of one's soul? Because if there is one thing we cannot accelerate, it is our growth in godliness. How can our love for Jesus deepen without time away to read our Bibles or to pray or even just to stop and to think? 
And um, so very, very focused on every, all the stuff that we need to do and stuff is moving faster and we need to keep up. If we want to be competitive, we need to do more and we need to do it better. Um, and maybe you say, well, I'm not really in that environment. You know, I can't relate to, to that environment. I spend my day in, in a different place. Um, I don't think this is limited to the corporate world. Um, I've, I remember speaking to her. We were visiting friends in the free state um, and there was a farmer that um, shared a story in the free state, it was in Kroenstadt. Um, very hospitable people live in Kroenstadt. Um, amen. <laughs> and so this farmer shared with me a story about his relationship with his son. And he said, his son was not, you know, he, he, he's not the most practical person in the world, which, which I could see was a little bit of a disappointment perhaps for this dad. Um, and he said, you know, it, it seemed like at times there were pretty basic things that, you know, according to me, that, he really struggled to get right. Um, you know, I, I would think it's a pretty simple chore, but he really struggled with, with getting those things right. And um, he remembers that, you know, one time he asked him to again to do a, quite a simple task in his view, and his son was struggling, you know, and he, he kind of snapped, and he's like, you know, can't you just, just do it? You know, it's not that complicated. Just, just fix the thing. And... Um, you know, he, he said, he, he heard the Holy Spirit say to him, um, okay, now I want you to ask your son what bothers him about you. And um, he said when the Holy Spirit said that the third time, he was like, okay, <laughs> let's ask that question. But he was not too, I mean, he was like, I'm a pretty decent dad, you know, how bad can it be? And then his son just said to him, you know, dad, I really... I don't actually enjoy doing stuff with you because you just experience you just expect perfection from me from the word go and it feels like there's no room to make a mistake and learn. Yeah, and he said he just broke down and he wept and he was like I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I didn't know. And uh as of that day he realized that his son perhaps doesn't have the same makeup that he has. He doesn't have the same natural talents that he has. So he changed his expectations for his son, and they, their, their relationship improved um, amazingly as a result of that. As a result of that experience, and I think some of us grew up in homes similar to that, um, where there was a big focus on your contribution and what you're doing, and your legitimacy and your place of belonging. There was a strong sense, or a strong link to the contribution that what you that you were making, and how good of a son or a daughter you were in that house. Um, but maybe it wasn't. You know, maybe you didn't grow up in a home like that. And I think there will be many of us like that as well. But I think even in church, we can experience this sometimes. Um, and sometimes, especially in church, unfortunately. Um, and if you, like me, grew up in quite a traditional denomination, lees your Bible, bid elke dag, which Linda is like, what does that mean? <laughs> It means read your Bible, pray every day. <laughs> um, you know, that for me, wh while I was growing up, was not, I didn't perceive that to be an invitation to relationship with the one who laid his life down for me. I, I thought, you know, if I do this really well, then maybe I'll be good enough. You know, if I lease my Bible and bid elke dag, then I'll, then I'll qualify. And so it became about the doing. Um, 
And the sad thing is we can even have a, a legitimate born-again experience um, and be saved and enter into God's family and still let some of this thinking and some of this behavior impact how we do relationship with the Lord. Thinking that we can earn, thinking that we can perform, thinking that He cares more about the doing than anything else. And so we see a lot of that reflected around us, this, um, this idea about focusing on the external, about the doing, the productivity, the outcome, driving that kind of thing. And um, I think it's a topic that's important to Jesus because he addresses it a couple of times in Scripture. Um, and I want to look at one instance specifically tonight, um, which is in Luke 10, verse 38 to 42. Um, it's a story of Martha and Mary. Okay, you can follow on the screen or you can follow on your phones or in your Bibles. Um, so Luke 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And so Jesus comes to their house, him and his disciples are traveling. Um, there's a couple of instances in Scripture where we, we, we encounter Martha and Mary. The other is that um, they're Lazarus' sisters, uh, Lazarus whom Jesus raised from the dead. Um, and, and this is also the Mary who um, broke the expensive bottle of perfume over Jesus' feet and cried over his feet and wiped it with her hair. Um, and so he stopped at the house. It was not the first time that he's visiting Martha and Mary, so he knows them from before. Um, and Martha is like, Jesus is here. <laughs> Let's focus, all right? I've got my checklist. <laughs> we need to pull out the best cutlery, the best tablecloths, all these things, and she's... Um, and I think, see, I think for Martha, it comes from a sincere place. You know, I think she loves the Lord. I think she gets that hospitality is important, but she goes into doing mode straight away. And Mary is like, Jesus is here, you know. I'm going to take my place at his feet. I'm going to listen to what he says today. He's probably got something good. Um, and I want to get that. I don't want to miss what he has. Um, and Martha's upset. She's like, what is she doing? She's just sitting there. She's all like doe-eyed. And she's just like, you know, she's not even meant to sit at his feet. That was in the Jewish custom reserved for disciples, which is inappropriate for women in the time. Jesus had no issue with that. All right? <laughs> Amen, says all the women. All right? And she's like, Jesus. And she obviously feels, I mean, she knows who Jesus is. She has had a previous encounter with him. Um, but she obviously feels that she's right in this instance. And she's like, she knows Jesus' judgment is also true. So she's like, Jesus, can you just intervene and tell me? I've told her, but can you tell her? She'll do it if you tell her. All right? Um, and then we can just get everything done and we can have a perfect spread and everything will be great. And I love Jesus' response because he, he doesn't get pulled into that. He's not, he doesn't fall for that, I have to now choose sides. He just like goes for the heart. Right? He's just like, Martha, let's, 
let's talk about this. This is actually not about Mary at all. Um, let's talk about what's going on. Um, so I, wanna, I want us to look at the, the contrast between Mary and Martha. First, what's easier to observe, I think, are their actions. So let's see how their actions... Um, so you can see there that Mary is not doing much, right? It's like full on uh, Martha's side of the table, lots of actions happening. Mary sits at Jesus' feet and listens, all right? Some of you are like, come on, Mary. Um, Martha, uh, she opens her home to the Lord. Wonderful, great, that's good. Uh, works hard to demonstrate good hospitality. I think that's noble as well. Scripture teaches us to show hospitality to, um, to people. Uh, the last two, less great, um, accuses her sister and then tells Jesus how he, how he needs to deal with the situation. Um, okay, so that's, the, that's what they do. That's what we can observe from their doing. Um, if we look at their attitudes, which Scripture also alludes to, but which is more subtle, um, Martha has a desire to please right um she she might there might it seems from the text that there's a little bit of like i want to be a good hostess you know i want people to say that martha that one can cook you know <laughs> she when you go there pray you get invited for dinner to martha's place um she's distracted by what what needs to be done right so there's a lot she's not notice what she's not she's not present Right? She's distracted by everything that needs to be done. Her checklist is priority number one. And our greatest joy is we, she can tick off that next item. All right? We're making progress. We're going to put the perfect meal before the Lord. Um, desire to control, I, I'm open to debate on this one. I think I, it's, uh, that's very subtle, if, if so, in the text. But um, I got that from the way that she tells Jesus how to handle the situation. She's obviously not hap- happy with how things are going down. And she, she decides to step in, you know, and to try and control this interaction and to control the outcome. So she wants to be in control in that sense. Um, and then Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and you're upset. All right. Other translations say um, you're anxious and you are troubled. There's stuff weighing you down. I can see there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on here. It's causing you to be distracted. You're all over the place, but you're actually nowhere, right? And uh, I love how Jesus had the ability to just do that, um, but he did it so gently. Mary, on the other hand, she is content to be with Jesus. And probably Mary knows how Martha feels about this. Remember that Martha is her sister, and she lives with Martha. Um, So Mary probably knows that Martha is not going to be approved and not going to be too happy about this. Um, she acknowledges her need to receive from Jesus in order to grow. So she understands that in, in being a disciple of Jesus, I need to sit at his feet and receive instruction, receive truth, receive healing, receive his heart over me. Um, and the irony is that being with Jesus is actually going to make me more effective in the doing when I go out from here. All right. Um, Mary loves Jesus passionately and is surrendered to him. Um, and I got that from, from the part where she takes the perfume and she breaks it over his feet. And you just see this, 
I don't know. I wonder if she knew what she was doing. Because, I mean, Jesus goes on to say that she's anointed me for my burial, right? But I wonder if she knew what she was doing or if, or if she just was so connected to the Lord in her heart that it was just a response, that it was just the overflow, that it was just what she experienced around him. And so she just obeyed without thinking about it twice. She just went and she broke that perfume, which the disciples then said, you know, was, could have fe- fed many poor people for a long time. And um, she was just like, this perfume is for Jesus. I'm going to break it over his feet and I'm going to minister to him with my tears. And I'm going to wipe it up with my hair. Um, and so we see that deep satisfaction um, that deep love for Jesus in Mary. So that's on a looking at, at their actions and their attitudes. I think what's what's interesting, what for me, what drives them. There's two. There's there's the thing that drives them is very different. The underlying thing that's that's causing them to behave in this way and, and have these different attitudes. And it seems like Mary was concerned with um, what needs to be done. Sorry, Martha. Thank you, my lovely wife. Um, Martha is concerned with what needs to be done, but Mary is really concerned with who I need to be with um, or, or who I need to become. And what I need to do will flow from that. Okay, And so what Mary, like we said, what Mary was focusing on was not bad. It was good. We need to do those things. Um, I mean, it's in Scripture. Um, so, so those are all good things. We need people who are willing to serve and who are willing to meet the needs of those around them. Um, and I think this is uh, corroborated by the fact that the, the, the story just before this account of Martha and Mary is the story of the Good Samaritan, okay? Where the core message really is that in our lives as Christians, our compassion and our love needs to become practical in meeting the needs of others. Um, it's no use to say that, you know, we love and but we're too holy to touch that, you know. Um, <clears throat> so that's a very clear, a clear message to us is that it needs to become actionable and practical and we need to do stuff, right? But I wonder if Luke was deliberate in putting this account immediately after that. Lest we think it's just the works that's going to be enough, right? And then just after that he says, Martha, Martha, right? Mary has chosen the better thing, and it will not be taken away from her. Um, something that also that's perhaps a slightly, um, <clears throat> slightly, um, just on a different tangent is something that I believe God highlighted to me specifically for us as a um, as a church. Uh, from this text is the three killers of connection and community. <clears throat> All right, three things that. Um, Martha does that breaks down relationship with Mary and a relationship with Jesus um, and that in our context will undermine our sense of community that we have the first is comparison they're all C's so, it's, so Danny will be very proud of me <laughs> alliteration I was like the three C's that break down connection and community great thank you Holy Spirit um, so the first one is comparison, um, and we see how Martha is comparing what she's doing with what Mary is doing, all right? And I wonder if she would have felt so frustrated if Mary hadn't been there. Imagine Mary wasn't there, you know, for whatever reason. Um, Martha would have had to do as much work. She would, you know, 
she did everything. She still would have had to done everything. But I don't think she would have been as upset because Mary is not deliberately sitting there and not helping, <laughs> you know. So she's obviously actively comparing what, um, what Mary does. We never do that, right? I mean, <laughs> we never compare what our service to the Lord looks like versus the person next to us, right? And what does that do to our hearts when we do that? Right? It can make us feel inferior, right? It can make us feel superior. Neither of those are good, right? It can make us be jealous or play down what the person next to us is doing. And the point is, are we doing that for the person next to us or are we doing it for Jesus, right? Um, and so the first one is comparison that breaks down connection and community. The next one is competition, which uh, is uh, comparison's older brother. When comparison matures, it becomes competition. <clears throat> so no longer do I compare, but now I specifically rank, right? This is better. Uh, that looks more spiritual. That looks like that's going to make more of an impact. You know, paradigm shift is superior to Ukraine missions. I'm just joking, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> right, but she goes to Jesus and she wants to validate the ranking that she has instituted she's like Jesus I'm doing the right the godly the respectable the religious moralistic thing here can you please just help Mary to get in line okay and also to do the right thing um, and of course we never do that either um, <clears throat> and then criticism um, she, she obviously criticizes what Mary is doing, um, and, and Jesus does the opposite, right? He says that she chose the better thing. Um, but criticism breaks down relationship and breaks down community, and we need to be very careful with our words. Um, and even when we're careful with our words, even when we put a God in, in front of our tongue, but we still want to say it, we need to go to the heart, Right? <clears throat> because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, I'm all for feedback, okay? We have a very rich feedback culture at our company, and I believe feedback in church is also very healthy. Um, Annie preached the sermon a while ago around speaking the truth in love, which was also amazing, like all these other sermons. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and listen to that as well. Um, but that is different from criticism, right? Criticism speaks down. It's destructive, whereas feedback is for the benefit of that person's growth. And speaking the truth in love is for that person's benefit in growing in the Lord. All right, so let's be careful of, of criticism. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I feel like sometimes, and I suspect often in our context, uh, we need to ask ourselves the following question. Who are we willing to disappoint? Right, um, you, we're going to disappoint someone, um, especially if you look at, um, and especially I mean you are all, um, and I mean every single person in this congregation is a leader of amazing caliber. I, yeah, I just I I I don't know understand why the Lord placed so many strong leaders in one congregation, but He did. So I'm sure He's got a plan with it. But you are all leaders, and as we grow in leadership, <coughs> people's expectations of us increase, right? 
And there's just going to reach a point where the expectations and the amount of hours in the day does not match up. And then there is a very important uh, choice. Who are we going to disappoint? And Mary had this choice, right? <clears throat> she was either going to disappoint Martha or she was going to disappoint Jesus, right? Like we said, she probably knew what she was doing was, I also said a different word, but was ticking uh, Martha off, <clears throat> Right. Um, I recently came across an article. Um, uh, some of you may know Desiring God is a ministry uh, where John Piper is involved. And um, I came across this article and they referenced this text in the article. And I just want to read a quote from that article. It says, um, What we believe others will think of us if we do or don't do the things we think they expect us to do, can have a profound impact on our decisions and how we prioritize the activities we spend our time on. Martha's time commitment was being motivated by anxiety, not love. Given the context, it's reasonable to assume her anxiety stemmed from what all her house guests would think of her if she stopped waiting on them and did what Mary was doing. In that moment, Mary was more willing to disappoint Martha than to disappoint Jesus. And Jesus comes to a rescue in that sense, right? And I love Jesus' response. He's not frustrated with Martha. He says, Martha, Martha. You know, he says it twice, which indicates understanding and grace and patience. He's not like, he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't say, you stupid Martha. You, you know, shouldn't you be, just be like Mary. You know, he says, Martha, Martha. Let's talk about this thing that's going on in your heart. He, um, he understands that that's probably part of her personality and then that's what comes na naturally to her. But he still goes for her heart. He still calls out to worry and anxiety. And he shows her a better way. I think Jesus saw this as a discipleship opportunity for Martha. Um, where the rabbis and the teachers of the day, you know, did not feel that women were worthy of being discipled. Jesus had no such uh, prejudices. Um, and he just saw this as such an opportunity to disciple Martha. And to say to her, Martha, I love you and I see what you're doing, but you need to get this. This is the one thing that's going to make the biggest difference in your relationship with me. And this is the thing that I want everything you do from your own forward to flow from. And like we pointed out the irony earlier, I think what's interesting is that um, being with Jesus first will actually improve our doing and that will help us to be more effective will be help us to um, when we go over into doing and that is required right we know we see that in scripture that god does require our faith to become practical faith and works right um, that james speak about but it's preceded by the being the being with jesus the sitting at his feet and hearing his voice and listening to the words that he's speaking and um, an example that I want to use just to illustrate this further is, um, you know, and this, is not a, this is not indirect, subtle feedback for our hospitality team here. I think our hospitality team does great. Um, but hospitality can be, it, it can so easily become something that we do, right? If we see we're the hospitality team and we're going to, we have our plan and we're going to greet people, we're going to hand out these flyers, you know. Um, but hospitality, what is hospitality if not from the heart? Hospitality is really about receiving someone, right, and celebrating them, 
And if that doesn't happen from the heart, you can all have all the name cards and the bunting and the, all of these things. Um, but hospitality is really something that starts in the heart. And this is what the scripture says. It's not saying do less. It's saying let your works flow from being with Jesus. Let that sustain you. Let that be the main thing, the one thing that drives you. Um, let that be the most important thing. Um, Heinrich was, was in, in, in Joburg last week, and he preached in the morning service. Some of you were there as well. And he, um, I wasn't there, but I listened to his sermon. And one thing that he said stood out for me. He said, he, he spoke about purpose. And um, he said, our purpose, first and foremost, is to be with Jesus. And that is so huge. That's so, so simple, but so huge. Our purpose, first and foremost, is to be with Jesus. Mary understood this. She understood that her only chance for sustained change from the inside out and from ministering the Lord's power was to come from that place of sitting at His feet. Um, and this is the foundation of being a disciple. If you think about a disciple, it, it means to be with your rabbi, your teacher, right? And there's presence and there's connection. And even when the disciples were walking with Jesus, they, they often got, you may have noticed, and you know, we laugh about it, but I mean, I've been there. Um, they strike up these arguments, right? And they're like, well, who is the greatest among us? You know, of the 12, who's going to get the gold star at the end of this race? Um, you know, or they say, Jesus, let's call fire down on that town and burn it up, you know? Or they rejoice because the demons, they've now learned that the demons listen to them. And the demons go when they say go, and they feel powerful. And in each of those in each of those instances, Jesus just goes for the heart. He's just like, when they argue about being the greatest, he's like, no, 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 no. Um, you need to become like children if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Even the Son of Man did not, co not come to serve, but to be, not to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he just goes to, his, to the heart. And, um, and then he says, he goes away for our benefit. I mean, who of you have thought, you know, you've been in a situation, in a circumstance where you're just like, oh, I just wish like Jesus was here, you know. If he was just here, then I could just see what he's doing. I could hear what he's saying. I can just go do that. But he says, like, you have something better. We have something better. That would still be us observing him. And if you look at the disciples and all the time they spent with Jesus and, you know, some of the things that still came out of their mouths, um, we're all going to be okay, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, he says, no, the Holy Spirit's actually inside of you. You can hear his voice and he brings transformation from the inside out, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And I thought like the Lord was just, I felt like the Lord was just asking me, how much time do I sit with the Holy Spirit? Right? How intentional am I in growing in relationship with the Holy Spirit? And hearing, he's called the teacher and the comforter and the helper. Right? Do, do I know him as those things? Do I know him as the indwelling of God's power in me? Right? Um, how much time do I set aside and, and how intentional am I in, in knowing him better? We were at intercession or at the Acts one fourteen prayer night on Monday night, um, which was a great time. And I remember intercession at Stellenbosch being um, 
fiery. You know, we would get up as students in the mornings, five o'clock on Friday mornings, and you just knew stuff was going to happen at intercession. And um, I was like, I was amped for this for Monday night. I was like, Lord, we're going to, there's going to fire, you know, it's going to be great. Stuff's going to happen. And, um, and when I got there, I realized it wasn't going to be like that. And we ended up that evening after an hour and a half where we mostly worshipped, where we were quiet without anyone prompting that or facilitating it. All of us were just quiet for like 10 to 15 minutes. And God's presence was just so thick in that place. I, I just felt almost this weight. Um, that's not like a heavy weight, but just like a weight um, on me. And, and, I, and I felt like the Lord was just saying, now I have you where I want you. Now you can listen and hear what I'm saying and not go for all the, you know, making stuff happen and, you know, getting obsessed with all the, all the cool stuff we're going to see. Now I've got you at my feet. I've got your attention. You're with me. Let us go from this place. And um, I love our church community. I, I got saved while I was in Shofar. I, um, you know, I so many opportunities to partner with Jesus in the kingdom in, in Shofar. I um, met my wife, you know, <laughs> received so much healing. Um, there was a time about three years ago where I wanted to leave, you know, Lauren and I were both like, just became a bit disillusioned and we were like oh, you know we're over it we want to start over and find a new place and um, I'm so gracious just for the Lord guidance and he just said no I've planted you here I want you here I want you to shoot your roots here and um, there was just such a, something so beautiful that happened in our hearts through that and now I'm at a place where if I had, if God had to send me away from this part of the body to a different body it would be really hard for me <laughs> to be honest, um, because yo, I just love this part of God's, God's body and his house. Um, but in the past, often we had show, f- we had show for it been, has been great at the doing. We've been really focused, really effective, really just like, go, 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 do, 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 kingdom of God needs to come right now. And, um, you know, we have amazing worship culture. We send mission teams all over the world that minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they see diverse communities and often remote villages transformed by the gospel. Um, we promote the encounters in Bible school because we know that the Lord uses those things to equip us. We serve diligently and effectively. And we have a heart for excellence. And we work hard to present the best of ourselves to make it an engaging place for other people to come into and all of these things, um, and that's all good, and I and I think we should continue to do that. But um, as I was preparing, I just felt like the Lord say that sometimes we in the past have we have burnt out because we have lost sight of the why. Why are we doing that? You know, and if we work for the Lord while not sitting at His feet, we are going to burn out regardless of how much we do, regardless of how much or how little we do, if we don't sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his words and receive from him, we, we are going to burn out. 
and um, I was just so convicted, and, and I've, I felt it was not just a personal thing. I felt like it was like a corporate thing that we almost have to repent of and give back to the Lord. And just to say, Lord, that we're sorry we took this up and that we made this the main thing. Um, you know, Daniel, um, I hope he doesn't mind. He's in kids' church, so he won't know. <laughs> He, um, we'll get him to share his, his testimony and just what the Lord has been doing around his running and how, how God has really been giving him a platform. And just, But, you know, besides everything that God is doing through his running, it's just so blessed me to see what God has done in Daniel's heart through this whole process and how God is revealing his heart as a father to Daniel. And um, one of the stories Daniel just told me was he said that, you know, as he's running, he used to see God at the finishing line. You know, and he's running towards him, and he's he's working so hard to become first because he wants he wants to get to the Father first. And Jesus just showed him that he's not at the finishing line; he's in the starting block with him, and he's running with him every step of the way. He's there all the time. He's not doing it for God. God is enabling him. God is giving him this opportunity because he loves him, and that also gives him a, a platform and an opportunity just to testify of God's goodness. And so even just his running, being birthed, and even in athletics where it's so competitive and so driven, even in just just being birthed out of a place of being with Jesus. And I'm um, speaking about finishing the race. I was at a, I was at a, um, after we went to the market yesterday, Lauren and I went to go see a movie. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, take, take some tissues if you go see that movie. Um, and um, it's, a, it's the movie around, I don't know if you know this song, I Can Only Imagine. Um, it's a movie around the guy who wrote that song and, and his life story and how he came about writing that song. And I just, this, these words have stuck with me and, I, and I've, I wonder if eternity will look a lot more like Mary's approach rather than Martha's approach. And the words of this song say... Surrounded by your glory. And so he's singing about when he, when he gets to heaven and when he sees Jesus face to face the first time. And he's wondering about what will his response be. And he sings, I'm surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance before you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? And um, I'm just so hungry for that moment. <laughs> when we see him. Now, like scripture says, now we see in part, but then we will see him. And we will be known. And we will know him just as we are known. And that's going to be such a beautiful moment. But we can experience much of that now already. Um, and so let's stand um, with the worship team can just come up and, and play for us. Um, I want to encourage us tonight to resolve to make this our one thing, to, um, to sit at the feet of Jesus and um, to listen to Him and um, to receive input and instruction and truth from Him and to also receive healing 
and um, restoration and redemption from him to let him um, provide guidance and let this one thing really just be like Jesus says, few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.